Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for uh, an additional day of rest for many of us uh, tomorrow. And remembering Memorial Day, we thank you for those who have given their lives uh, in service to many of us in this nation, that we may preserve uh, freedoms, that we may be able to even speak publicly uh, like this. We thank you for the many families who have also given uh, some of their sons and daughters into the, and, and mothers and fathers into, into the service. And God, we thank you for uh, this topic today as we, as we move forward talking about family. We pray that you will bless the reading of your word in Deuteronomy. We pray that uh, we will not walk out of here the same. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in the prayer, uh, we are making our way steadily through a series on what? Family. We are all in the family. <laughs> Such a funny picture. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's cute. Uh, we are talking about family. It is the, the basic building block of society, and God's Word has a lot to say about this topic. That is why it is, what, seven, eight weeks? And in those seven and eight weeks, you get like 12 sermons because uh, we just didn't do a very good calculation. Uh, we have been squeezing in a lot of information. My apologies for that, but uh, there's just, it's just so rich. Uh, so uh, trust me, there will be more talks of this next year as well. Uh, we've been talking about what it looks like to be a real biblical man and real biblical woman. What does God actually say about our identities as men and women? What does God say about uh, our, our vocation of being married or unmarried, single or otherwise? And today we'll be talking about what it looks like to play the role of a mother and father or of a child, because while not everybody in this room uh, has children. Well, raise your hand if you do, or if you have any children. I know that there's a few parents. Okay, it's uh, my wife and uh, Kim and home. Okay. <laughs> Tony, you have a child. You have two children. <laughs> you didn't raise your hand. Okay, maybe some people are afraid to raise their hands. Like, I don't want people to know about what I do outside of here. Okay, that's all right. But whether or not you are a parent, it is apparent that all of us are indeed children of somebody, right? Yes, you like what I did there. Thank you. I'm doing air fist bump. Because unless you could tell me that you manifested yourself on the face of this earth, I'm pretty sure that you have a parent somewhere. And God does talk about how we should have relationship with our parents. And he also talks about how to instruct uh, children and bring up the next generation. Now, again, we will start with how we bring up the next generation. And whether or not maybe you're thinking about having children, it may be many years off. But I guarantee that this is still relevant to your life even now. So uh, I'd like you to open up your Bibles. If you have them in front of you, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be mostly there, and then we're just going to flip a page back. I tried to make it easy for you today so that we'll just mostly stay in Deuteronomy. But I'll probably go on 10 rabbit trails and lead you all over the place. But Deuteronomy is where we will start. The book of Deuteronomy, interesting book. As you're flipping there, I'll give you a little background. It is the last of the five books of Moses. Moses wrote the law of God. Okay, what is the law of God? Well, God started with just two people, Adam and Eve. He started with one, made Eve from Adam, and then said, hey, I want you to bless and take care of this earth. And the first couple said, mm, no thanks, we're going to do things our own way. We want to play God. So God said, hmm, heartbroken, hmm, okay, that's how we're going to DTR, but don't worry, I actually have a plan. I'm going to rescue you and bring you back so that we can be a family together forever. And through some tumultuous trials, uh, God had raised up one particular family, the family of Abraham, and through him, he had blessed this whole nation. 
Now, this nation had gone into slavery. That is where we have the book of Exodus, meaning like to go out, to leave, a mass exodus, like after we're done here, we will exodus out of the building, right? And he goes on to say, this is your God, and here is his law. Okay, here is the ideal standard of what God has in this broken world, okay, to, fi- to, to, to try to strive to be more like him and what he expects. So when you read through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, if you ever want to, I know many Christians read through and they're like, I kind of skipped that part and got to the Jesus part. That is really the important part. However, when you're reading through the law, it is kind of key to think of it this way. Think of those individual laws as a glimpse into the heart of the lawgiver. A glimpse into the heart of the lawgiver. He established many, uh, many different codes of conduct for people to treat each other with dignity and respect. Now, we come to the book of Deuteronomy. Like I said, this is the final book that Moses will write. Moses came many years later to give the law to the people. This is basically, hey, this is what God is saying, Ten Commandments sort of thing that was given back in Exodus. Deuteronomy uh, is actually from a Greek word. It is a compound word, meaning more than one words put together. Deuteronomion, try to say that three times fast. And it comes from two words, deuteros or deutero, which is two or second, and nomion or namos, law. Okay, the second law. Second law, what about the first? Well, God gave the first law in Exodus, and now after a uh, 40-year stint through the desert, it was a crazy road trip that didn't do so well, the first generation was now dying. And while God was trying to bring these people of his promise to this beautiful land so that he can start afresh with them, well, many of the older people were griping and complaining and just not following after what God said. So God calls Moses and says, look, I know you're old, but I want you to go and pass the baton one more time to a new generation of people. Go and tell them who I am again. Go and tell them what I have to say. Go and tell them how to live a life in this new land, in this new place so that we can start fresh. So here is where we find ourselves in Deuteronomy. And what we're about to read in Deuteronomy 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, is a prayer that would be prayed twice a day by the Jews. That is how important this was. Two times a day, once in the morning, once at night. They would say, Shema. Everybody say, Shema. Shema. What did we just say? It literally means hear or listen or attention. Nobody really says that. Do any of you say that? Like, attention. No, not really. But it's more than just getting someone's attention or getting them to listen up. It actually also means you're about to respond to something. Okay, there is an expectation of a response when Shema would be said. Shema, Israel, Adonai Elohimnu, Adonai Ichad. That is what they would say twice a day. And what does that mean? Well, look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Another translation, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, you may notice that we talked a little bit about rearing children here, but we need to backtrack and look at what this Shema actually meant. Because this was a call for all people of God to follow after. Shema, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a very important verse, very small. 
maybe it seems like a preamble to something more important. But actually, this is quintessential here. When you see the word LORD, capitalized L-O-R-D, in all caps, that, that is a relational term. God is invoking his own name. You see, there are many different ways in, in the Semitic language to say God, but this one was particularly the God of his covenant, the God of Genesis, the God of, Ab- uh, of uh, Adam and Eve. This is Yahweh. This is him saying, this is who I am. This is me. It is a relationship. It always denotes a relationship. All of the other commandments that we're about to read through today and all of the things that Moses in a very long-winded, year-long speech gave, were all based on a relationship. Many of the commands given, you can find in other world religions. It's true. Buddhist, Sikh, uh, Islam. However, the difference with here is that this this all comes from a relational God. Not just a God that says, follow my rules, but a God that says, follow who I am. What he says next, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. What does that mean? Well, remember, they're about to enter into a new land, God's people. They're about to enter into a new land where they will experience many other philosophies of life and many other gods. And you say, oh, okay, well, I don't see that many gods when I go to work. Oh, you do, all the time. There are many competing things that will make you want to take your eyes off of God. And that's exactly what God is doing. You may follow after the God of commerce. You may follow after the God of capitalism, of individualism, the God of sex, the God of money, the God of drugs. All of these things still exist today. We just call them different names. But this God is saying, but those are impersonal gods. Those will not give you life if you follow after them. They may seem like fun, but trust me, keep your eyes on me. When I was learning how to swim as a boy, I I just actually remembered as I was outside, I don't know if it was because it's raining or what, (laughs) but I remember learning how to swim, and the person that would be in front of me, my coach, uh, would say, okay, just keep your eyes on me, just keep on, just look at me, just look at me, and would slowly back up, and I would just keep swimming after them, right, and thinking, why are you backing up? That's so messed up. (laughs) Like, my goal went from here to here, Keep your eyes on me. Shema, listen up. Shema, listen. Hear me and respond. I am your God. Nobody else. Follow after me first. What does this have to do with parenting? Trust me, we'll get to that in just a moment. You'll see why. But this is important for us to remember who God is. And secondly, he gives the next command, not only just listen and respond, but verse 5, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts, loving with all of your heart. We've talked a little about that word before, the word leb in Hebrew, and it doesn't just mean your feelings. Of course, we like to think, oh, you're in my heart, I'm thinking of you in my heart, and that's great. But this Hebrew term also expands it to mean all of your desires and all of your motivations, in all of your cognitive ability, in all of your wisdom. That when you're planning out life, you're thinking about who God is and what he's about to say. Love your God with all of your soul. Strange word, nefesh, it actually means your throat. Um, (laughs) I know, it's like, what? It's my throat? It's soul? How'd you get that? It means your personhood, because if you think about it, a lot of life comes out of here. We're speaking. We also eat with that, so it's not hard to understand that. And with all of your strength, the Hebrew word is actually your muchness. It's not a physical strength. That's a different word. 
but out of everything that you are, in all of your ability financially, in all of your ability cognitively, in all of your ability sexually, in all of your ability at all, that you are centered on God first and not being distracted by anything else. Now, it's very hard because you may not do that every single waking second, but in all of your decisions in life, they should be based on who God is. Now, it seems kind of strange, and I want to clear something up before we move on, because God seems to be a God of love, but yet he's commanding love. Now, doesn't that sound kind of strange? And it may to some. There, have been, there has been some pushback. Like, wait a minute. If this is a God of love, how can you command, like, love me? You know, that sounds weird. Like, oh, am I a robot? Am I just supposed to respond, okay, I will love you? That's not real love. Well, I think we should be reminded that what's key to remember here and I will bring this up again later on, is that love is a choice. It's not just a feeling, but it is an action. It is a verb. Love me with who you are. You have this choice and this capability to love. All right? I'll give you an example. At night, for many years, uh, my wife and I would go to bed, and there would be a glass of water. At some point, that water would disappear halfway through the night, and I would be woken up to, is there water? And I'm like, was. I don't know what happened to the water. She's like, can you get water? I'm like, oh, it's two in the morning. I don't want to get up. And now uh, that I have uh, two children in the bed with me, that water, we have two glasses of water now. They're gone. I, <laughs> maybe I should just invest in having a jug of water upstairs in our bedroom. But in the middle of the night, I'm somehow either kicked or poked or prodded or told, can you give me water? And I'm like, oh, I got to get up and get water. I got to step on Lego. I got to slip and risk my life going down the stairs. And, and then it's cold. And then, you know, there's like shadows of things downstairs. I'm like, oh, is that a burglar? You know, it's scary. But I get up and I get water. Why? Because I choose to love. Because I choose the action of love. When I get up for my wife... Am I thinking about how I used to stare deep in her eyes? And I say, I do forever. I love you. It's the best day of our life. You may kiss your bride. No, I'm not thinking that at all. I'm thinking, how do I get there fastest and then just get back to sleep? And where am I? <laughs> love is an action and love is a choice. And God is saying, love me. With all of the life that I have given you, I want that love back. I want to feel that from you. The very next verse, verse 7, the very next thing that God is concerned with. First, he's concerned with every one of his people who choose to follow after him, who hear his call, who want to be involved in the promise of God, in the kingdom of God. The very next thing he says is what? Teach what I'm about to say to who? Your children, the next generation. Teach this to them. You must not forget it yourself. See, it starts actually with your relationship with God as a parent. There are many different parenting books out there, and there's many different philosophies. And parenting can go many different directions as your children go, right? <laughs> like, don't go over there, don't wait, what are you doing up there? There are many different uh, parenting philosophies, like I said. But with God and his word, actually, while this passage is not about parenting, it's first about your personal relationship with God. But there's a lot to glean from that. Because the very next thing he says is, go and teach what I'm about to say. Bring up the next generation to know me as well. Many, many people, 
uh, may actually idolize. In other words, they kind of dote on their children more than anything else. And it's easy temptation to slip into for some of us who are parents. We're thinking about our kids all of the time. We, we get distracted. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, how do I discipline correctly? How do I love them? Was that, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And everything becomes involved. Uh, everything uh, becomes centered around raising the children. But actually first and foremost, even above your role as a husband or a wife, or as a son or a daughter or as a parent, is first to be a son of God or a daughter of God and to follow after him. That's why I emphasize that so much before we move on to how practically do we teach. How do we do it? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Basically, at all times, in all situations, if you're on a road trip with your kids, talk about God. Tell them, tell them about his, his great love. Tell them about all of the promises. Share with her that she's treasured and loved by God. This, invol this involves involvement in kids' lives. And if you're looking at me like, well, I don't really have kids. I'm not even sure if I'm going to have kids. Well, it, it starts with having involvement even in those around you, in the lives of those around you. But for those of you who are thinking about this, think about it. The effects that a parent can have. Parents, I, I, as the youth director uh, here at TLC, I've been saying this for many years, that parents actually, it is not only their responsibility we see to teach about God, but they have the greatest impact. They have the greatest impact in a child's life. They were there when you were born. They wiped your butt. They taught you to, to walk and talk and etc. Parents have a greater impact than anybody else. There are some parents that for many years were like, okay, well, we bring them to church and they go to the youth group and you tell them nice things and Tony and, and uh, there's Pastor Perry and Diane and there's Lucy and Marion and Elang. And we have a great team. Yes, praise God. And please thank the youth team when you see them here because they sacrifice a lot. But even we know that even in the midst of all of that sacrifice, it's actually still the parents that are going to be the ones guiding the next generation. I uh, happened to pick up a, uh, <laughs> somebody that I knew uh, just from the community. We weren't necessarily friends, but somebody that I had uh, talked with a few times I had happened to see out on the street uh, drunk. Um, <laughs> I was driving, and uh, I saw him waving his fist at cars and angry and this and that and shouting and flipping people off, and I'm like, oh, geez, you know, what is going on? So I pulled in uh, to a parking lot nearby, and I walked over to him, and I said, friend, hey, you know me? Remember me? And, and he's like, he stopped yelling. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know you. What, what's up? I'm like, yeah, what's up? You, why, are you all right? He smelled like alcohol. I'm like, okay, are you okay? You, you doing all right? What's going on? And He's like, he just started crying and telling me and sharing me about his life. I'm like, okay, this might be a little while. <laughs> Luckily, I have a couple hours. So I just prayed, and I'm like, okay, uh, God, if you want, I will, I will uh, just take him into my car. And first, I, I made sure he was safe and didn't have any weapons or anything. I'm like, okay, he looks kind of big and scary, but, you know, why don't you just sit down? Well, I mean, I'm a pastor, right? You want to hurt a man of God, right? You know, this is really bad. You know, okay, <laughs> whatever. He believed it, so he got in. <laughs> And he just started sharing about his life, and it turned out that he was a child of a pastor. That uh, he grew up in the church. He grew up with his dad as a pastor. But he said, but my dad really wasn't there for me. He was always at church. He was always handling calls. He was always there, uh, you know, for everybody but me. And I got involved in a gang, and I got involved with drugs, and I got, and it just broke my heart. How uninvolved 
and how easy it was for us to slip away into other things. And we might demonize that pastor and say, well, what a terrible pastor. But we all are tempted to just let go and not be concerned with the life of a child who's so small and insignificant. That's the next generation. And what you model, the love that you show, the care that you show, because you are in that loving, caring relationship with God, goes a long way. Teach these things when you sit at home, when you're walking along, when you're basically at all times. Relate everything back to God. I've been learning about doing this more and more with uh, my son, uh, my oldest son. Yesterday, we had seen Detective Pikachu, a um, classic, uh, I'm sure to be, uh, sure to be classic. (laughs) Anyway, it was fun. I hadn't been to the movies in so long. I didn't know you have to pick your seats now, and it was embarrassing. And then I got in there, I'm like, wow, I get a recliner? Anyway, it's been like four or five years since I've been to the movies. (laughs) I have kids. After the movie, we get in the car, and my oldest son is asking all these questions. He's like, Papa, why did the bad guys do this to Mewtwo? Papa, why did Mewtwo do this? Papa, why, why did... And, and, of course, this is pretty normal. He's young and asking all these questions. Now his younger brother is copying him. He's like, Papa, why? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like I, I don't know. Even if I explain it, I'm like, well, you see. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, why? I'm like, I don't know. He's asking questions, and I'm getting a little frustrated. But then I thought, this is an opportunity to share. So he said, why did they do bad things? I said, well, people do bad things sometimes because they're insecure. He was like, huh, what do you mean? I said, well, now this is me. Okay, we all do this differently. You know that I'm a philosophical kind of guy. (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, uh, they they don't have power. They feel powerless, so they wanted to take it from someone else. He was like, why would they do that? I'm like, well, in Genesis 3, and I just went on, okay, I'm not kidding you, we had this big theological discussion, he's like, huh, I'm like, and that is why the world is the way it is, okay, <laughs> but the point is, we were able to relate things back to what God had said, you're able, you're able to see ways that we can relate the world back to them, and ultimately back to the gospel, when I'm walking along, and they're pointing out flowers, or pointing out a sunset, I'm able to say, yeah, God really made this beautiful sunset for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that inspiring? Painters like to paint things like that because, well, you can't do better than God. That's pretty amazing. Even in discipline, you're going to laugh at this one. So even in discipline, you know, we have to also train them in the wrath of God sometimes. And uh, (laughs) there was a particular time when uh, both of my children were complaining and whining in our bedroom. And I said, okay, you need to stop or I'm going to kick you out of the bedroom and shut the door and lock it. And then, no, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'll give you one more chance and then I will kick it. Blah, 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 blah. I kick them out, I lock it. They're crying, they're screaming, they're pounding on the door. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try to relax as much as I can. <laughs> anyway, it all gets resolved in about 30 minutes later, you know, after the hugs and the, okay, I love you and this and that. Um, I get this, I don't like being locked out. And I said, hmm. I don't blame you, but you know, I'm trying to train you to be obedient because one day God will lock out all of the people that were not obedient to him in their lifetime, and they will not ever be invited back in. Now, I know you're like, whoa, that's pretty deep. The last service was like, dang, that's pretty heavy, man. I'm German. (laughs) 
we're just, that's the, right to the point. That's how we do things. <laughs> a little heavy sometimes, but you can't say a German's not honest. But regardless, even in discipline, that we're able to say, look, the reason why we are disciplining you is because I want you to think higher of yourself. I want you to do better. Okay? God loves you. He thinks higher of you. You're better than this. Okay? Obedience is key. You need to listen. You may not understand all of these things and tying it back to what Scripture says. Now, if you were to train up the next generation, if you were to raise your children in all the commands that God has here, here's what you would come out with. Somebody who is open and willing to be vulnerable and real. Someone who is able to have deep relationship with other people because they understand what a community of prayer looks like in a home. Somebody who's more introspective because they're, able, they're being asked constantly, so what do you think about this scripture? What do you think about God's love? What do you think about this? Somebody who is more respectful of other people's boundaries as they're reading through and being taught the scriptures. Somebody who is more reverent and understands authority and structure. Somebody who understands deep love. Somebody who understands discipline. Somebody who understands compassion and charity for those who are less fortunate. Somebody who understands justice and is appalled when injustice happens. Somebody who can rise up in service. And somebody who understands sacrifice because they understand what their Lord Jesus Christ has done for them. Now, how many secular books do you think all of these things are <laughs> topics? But if you were to actually live out that call of God to love him with all of who you are and teach it and turn around and teach it to the next generation, that's pretty amazing. All of these qualities are found in who God is. Now, I understand that not all of us uh, may be parents, like I said. Some of, us, um, <laughs> some of us are not yet, some of us may not ever be. But one thing I can guarantee you that everybody here is a child. Uh, like I said, unless you just manifested yourself one day and you're like, voila, here I am. Okay, all of us have parents. So we're going to switch over now. We kind of understand the role of being a parent. That first, your responsibility is to seek who? God. And then to turn around and to diligently train that through modeling it, through sharing. But now how do we relate to our parents? Because let's be real and honest right now, we may be thinking, my parents never did that for me. There are people in this room who may not have had Christian parents, and they're like, well, okay, those are great things, but psh, my parents didn't know God. They didn't tell me any of this. Should I still listen to them? I think my parents kind of set me back. They screwed me over, I'll be honest. And we may have some resentment. So how do we handle being a child to a parent? Well, if you flip one page back to Deuteronomy 5.16, I'll give you a moment. Deuteronomy 5.16, sorry, I gave you a long moment, it's one page, shouldn't <laughs> be too bad. <laughs> this is one of the Ten Commandments that Moses had given in Exodus 20.12. You don't have to flip there, it's the same thing here. Honor your father and mother. As the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother so that you can live long and prosper, basically, in the land that I'm giving you. 
of the Ten Commandments that you may have heard of, even if you're not of the Christian faith or from a Christian background, you may have heard, oh, there's ten big golden things that God really uh, expects of his creation. And they can be summed up in two uh, different tablets, which we, they, they were originally written on. It wasn't five and five, by the way. It was four and six. The first four of the Ten Commandments had to do with man's relationship to God. Don't put any idols in front of me. I am your God, etc. The next six had to do with man's relationship with man, mankind and mankind. The very first one of those six is right here. Honor who? Your father and your mother. Interesting. Before killing anybody and saying don't steal, don't rape, don't kill, any of that, it's actually, you're actually to honor your father and mother. Now, again, I understand, before we move on, I understand that there's a variety of situations that in this country especially we have many different broken homes, that families look a lot different than the ideal standard that God had set forth that there's brokenness, that there's abandonment, that there's neglect, that there's abuse, that there's single families. I understand. But as long as it is up to us, just like I said earlier, love is a choice. Honor is a choice. And we're to honor despite bad circumstances, even if we think that we got the short end of the stick in life. And whether or not our parents choose to uphold that Shema, we still have a responsibility to them to honor them. We can't make their choices, okay? And I know that some of you have had parents that are like, they just made some really bad choices in life and I'm bitter and resentful. I understand, but that was their choice, not yours. But you still have a choice to honor them and you're commanded to do so here. You owe them your life if you think about it. If you think about it, you really do. God worked through two people to create you. And here you sit. They chose to keep you. I don't mean to get too political, but yet I do. In a nation where now that is kind of uh, up for debate, whether or not people should keep other people in the womb or not. All I can tell you is that your parents chose to keep you. They provided for you. You may not have liked it all the time. It may not be the best. It may not be the Ritz-Carlton. But they did provide for you. They sacrificed for you. They gave up time and energy. And whether or not you're griping and sitting here thinking like, it should have been more time, it should have been more energy, they still, they did the best that they knew how. So we do owe our parents our lives in that way. For, for kids, little kids, of course, this is a very simple command. You just listen and you obey to your parents. <laughs> simple as that. Listen and obey. Proverbs uh, 22, uh, 23, verses 22 through 25 say, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it, wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Even if it wasn't up to your par or your expectation or even God's expectation, there are still nuggets of truth and wisdom from previous generations. We still owe it to our parents to at least give them our ear, to listen to what they have to say. You don't always have to agree with it. You don't always have to follow it. It may be bad advice, but you still owe it, and that is one way that you honor. 
They may not be God, but we still practice that relationship of respect and love with our parents. We don't just say, oh, mom, just shut up. You're always like nagging, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure we're all guilty of that. Now, what about us as adults? Because pretty much we're all here as adults. I don't think there's anybody who's still a minor. It's sort of a strange thing, right? I'm an adult child. Does this still apply to me? Do I still have to honor my mom and dad? They're really old now. I do. I still got to listen like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. First, it's good to note that if you're married, yes, you still need to listen to your parents. However, your priority should be to your spouse. That is the leave and cleave principle that we've talked to before. Uh, we've talked about before. There are some people. Uh, <laughs> there are some people <laughs> who will not really leave their mom and dad, even though they're living in different places. If you know what I mean. It's like, well, my mom said this, so we have to do this. No, we're our own family unit now. Well, but it's my mom. I got it. Okay, listen to your spouse. You'll also live long. <laughs> okay. But how do we relate to our adult parents and our aging parents as adults? Well, we have a little bit of a glimpse of that in Matthew chapter 15. You don't have to uh, flip there, but if you'd like, it's verses 1 through 9. And there is a situation between Jesus and these religious Pharisees who are coming up and saying, Hey, Jesus, we noticed that uh, a few of your disciples over here, they don't wash their hands before they eat. And that's a tradition that our fathers you know, gave us from many, many years ago. That's, mm, that's disrespecting that, that tradition. And Jesus turns around and looks at them and says, hmm, that's very interesting. You want to talk about honoring your mother and father, do you? You don't honor your mother and father by taking care of them, but instead you take your money and you say, this is korban, which I will explain what that is in a moment, and you're only living for yourself. Now, korban was another made-up, uh, this is Matthew 15, if you're looking. <laughs> korban was another sort of made-up rule that would sort of... Uh, help people to understand tithing and giving back to the temple, okay? It was another rule that was set on top of God's law. This was a very common thing for a lot of religious teachers. They'd add all these other things that weren't in the Bible. And so what these priests would do is they would say, ah, oh, my dad, my mom, yeah, they're sick and elderly. Yeah, I don't really want to get involved with that. And, oh, they need some money for a caretaker. They need me to take care of them. Uh, you know what, mom and dad? I don't have any money. I just gave all of my money to the church to, because I want to honor God. Now, who do they work for? For the temple, the church. So they can easily give as much money as they want to the temple and then turn around and then take some of the temple treasury back out if they wanted a lavish meal, if they wanted this and that. So Jesus calls them out and says, you don't truly honor your mother and father. You're only looking to live for yourself. And you want to talk about some traditions that you made up. Now, I will say you should probably wash your hands before you eat. <laughs> Not a rule, though. Living for ourselves and not thinking about those who came before us, who changed our diapers, who cared for us, even if they didn't know how to do it correctly according to our standard. We still owe them a lot. Here's some practical tips to making a way towards honoring our older adult parents. One, as mentioned before, heed their advice. In other words, give them your ear. They are one of your most trusted uh, counselors. They know you very, very well. <laughs> they don't really know me. I'm different. They're so traditional. They're more Asian. I'm more American. I do things differently. There's still a lot of wisdom and they still care. 
and it honors them when you give them the time. If you have re- like a lot of trouble, and I'll share a little bit of my story if you don't know my story of, uh, of sort of a broken family where there was a lot of hatred towards my father, one of the first steps that you can take is just to be thankful before God for them. Because like I said, you wouldn't be here without them. To come before God and say, okay, I understand that they're not perfect, but I thank you. I thank you that they kept me. I thank you that you made them, that you made me through them. Pray for them. Pray for them. When's the last time you prayed for your mom and dad? I guarantee, as a father, that they're praying for you. They are. Pray for them. Allow God to change your heart as you are asking. If they're not a believer, if they don't know who Jesus is, pray that God would call them into the family. Weep over them. Throw yourself before God and say, God, you've called me as your son or your daughter, and I love that. But my own biological family, will you save them? And even if they are, pray for them nonetheless. They are still believers. They are still children of God. They're still learning and growing. They're still on their own journey. They're still somebody else's child. Pray for them. Care for them. Encourage them, especially as they grow older. Old people, older people get lonely very quickly. After, especially after if you're like in college and you're about to graduate and spread your wings and do whatever, have a home, start a family of your own, etc. Oftentimes, older adult parents may feel like they've lost their sense of purpose and they quickly kind of become isolated. Encourage them. Ask them, hey, are you part of your small group of a community? Do you have some community? Tell them that they're still needed. If you have kids, send them digital pictures on their phone if they can use the telephone device that is in front of them, okay? Involve them in your life. Oh, I can't do that. They don't really know who I am. It's okay. It's not about you. Honor them by just giving them an opportunity. Preserve their dignity. Preserve their dignity. Here's what I mean by that. As we grow older, and listen up because we're all heading there, uh, the forces of gravity tend to act on us. (laughs) We tend to get a little bit older. Our eyesight grows a little more dim. We won't be as youthful as we once were. I had heard a story of a couple, an old married couple, a wife leaning back, reclining on her husband's lap, looking at the old man and taking off his glasses and brushing his hair. And she said, honey, without your glasses on, you look like the handsome young man that I remember 50 years ago. And he looked at her lovingly and said, honey, without my glasses on, you also look quite beautiful. (laughs) Okay. We're all heading there. Let's be honest. Eyesight dims. We start to get a little hard of hearing. We may get grumpy because, gosh, it's really hard to move these joints. We don't look as youthful and radiant as we once did. And our bowels are much looser than we found them (laughs) many years earlier. But care for them. Stick up for them. Speak highly of them to others. Don't just be walking around. I know that many of us may have that tendency to walk around and say, like, you know, my parents, they're just crazy. They're stupid. You know, they won't get anything. That's not very honorable. You may feel those things, take that up with God. But in public, we don't want to just demean our parents and paint them to be these evil, scowling people. Look for those godly qualities in them. 
well, you know, they don't really know God. That, that's okay. All people have godly. We're made in his image. All people have godly qualities. They may be broken and shattered and twisted, but they're still there. Cognitively, that will help. And finally, forgive them. They're doing the best that they can. They did the best that they could. Can you do any better yourself? Probably not. It took many years for me to forgive my father. There was a divorce that took place between my mother and my father when I was four years old. And for years, I hated my father. I didn't want anything to do with him. And it took a long, long time. Even when I came, became a Christian, and I'm like, okay, I'm told to forgive my enemies. God, I forgive, and that's it. Okay, good, he can go live his life. But God actually had a bigger plan. And he said, mm, why don't you go tell him that you forgive him? I'll be with you. You believe that you're forgiven of your sins? Go and tell him that he's forgiven. You release him. Jesus, while dying on the cross in John 19, one of the last acts that he did in some of his final breaths was to actually care for his mother. Looking upon his disciple John, he says, look, this is your mom. Mom, this is your son. Take care of my mom. Even in dying for her sins, he still preserved her honor and still thought about her. That's incredible. As we're kind of coming to a close here, we can kind of reflect. Deuteronomy indeed is very interesting. Moses ends the book by giving the people, the nation, the people of God, a choice. And he says, follow after what God says and you'll live. You will be prosperous. You will be loved. You will be delighted. Don't follow him. You'll probably die. That's what God says. Follow after me and live. I am a God of life. Don't. You will die. Surely you will die. And before Moses closes everything up, you know what he says? He looks at them all and says, you're probably not going to do this. <laughs> what an old man crabby thing to do, right? Like, ah, oh, you're not even listening anyway. No, he looked at the nation. He gave them God's law. He told them how wonderful God is and then says, you're probably going to fail and find yourself in slavery. But I trust in God's promise that he will come through and that he will right all of the wrongs and that he will somehow save you. I trust that God will deliver in his promise. And with that, Moses turned, walked up the mountain, and, uh, and died. Kind of a cliffhanger, <laughs> quite literally. But that launches us, of course, into Joshua. We're not going to go through that today. In the same way that many of our mothers and fathers sacrificed for us, God, the perfect Father in heaven, sacrificed by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be called sons and daughters of God. I'd heard the story of uh, this family of five. They had uh, adopted a child. They had two biological children, and they adopted one more. And one day they heard the siblings fighting in the other room, squabbling over something childish. And it came to one of the biological children looking at uh, one of the adopted children and saying, well, you know what? You're not really one of us. And the adopted kid said, what do you mean by that? He's like, yeah, you're, you're adopted. We're actually mom and dad's real biological flesh and blood. So really, you don't have much right to talk around here. Of course, the mom and dad, what do you think they did? They got up and they oh, got to rush down the hall, like slap them all around. Like, what are you, you, that is so messed up, you do not say that. 
But as they were going down the hall, they had to stop because they heard the adopted son speak up and say this. It's true. Mom and dad did biologically have you. But they didn't have a choice. But they chose me. The mom and dad sat back down. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything about that. In the same way, God didn't have to have us. He could have just said, well, some other rebellious cluster of cells that do not care about who I am. But instead, he chose us. He loved us. And despite our rebellion, he said, I will, I will take the punishment. I will take that discipline. I will bear that wrath myself in sending Jesus Christ so that he can swap his place with you and say, you know what? Just as I am literally the son, I want to make them all sons and daughters of God and give them life and give them a true father in heaven and give them a true inheritance that can never be taken away because I will be resurrected. And for those of you who find yourself in that place, praise God. If you don't know who Jesus is, I invite you to invite him into your life to say a prayer. It doesn't have to be here and now. It could be on your car ride home. It could be in your bed tonight. But that invitation to sonship is always available. So what do we do in conclusion? For some of us, it's to seek God first. It's to take that first step and to say, you know what, I have been living a more selfish life. I thought that maybe if I just follow a few religious rules, then everything would go much better, and I was just looking for some guidance in life. But God actually starts with a relationship with him. For some of us, maybe it's to actually start to give that baton over to the next generation. Not everybody here has children, but you can start to practice. Many of you are already uh, involved in the children's ministry. And praise God. As you seek after God, share that with the next generation. And I thank you personally for watching my kids. There's probably a few people over there right now probably like, sit down, don't do that (laughs) with my own kids. And finally, maybe some of us need to think about how we honor our parents. Maybe some of us need to step away from all of that and really sit down with God and have a conversation and say, God, I, I haven't really thought much about my parents. I haven't really been honoring them. I haven't really been loving them in the way that you say to love. Maybe it's time for a conversation with them. I'd like to invite us to have a conversation now with God as we bow our heads in prayer.